Hello, and welcome to a special episode of the Capital Weekly Podcast. Today's episode was recorded live Thursday, September 28th at Capital Weekly's Conference on Women's Health. Today's episode will present the keynote for that event, Senator Barbara Boxer in conversation with Jody Hicks of Planned Parenthood. We're going to go ahead and thank our sponsors for the event, and then I'm going to turn you over to Rich Eisen, who will do some further introductions. After the keynote, we will conclude with our regular feature, Who Had the Worst Week in California Politics? So stick around. This week is a doozy. Thanks for tuning in. Support for Capital Weekly's Conference on Women's Health was provided by the California Healthcare Foundation, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations, the Western States Petroleum Association, KP Public Affairs, Perry Communications, Capital Advocacy, Lucas Public Affairs, the Wideman Group, and the California Professional Firefighters. All right. Well, hello, everybody. This is Capital Weekly editor Rich Eisen. Uh, you are at the our health conference keynote uh really excited today we've got we've got a, a really great presentation here for you uh we are joined by jody hicks who's the ceo and president of planned parenthood here in california in a conversation with uh former senator barbara boxer i can't think of two women who know or two people who know more about this issue than these two and so we're really excited to have them uh, here to join us today for this conference. Thank you so much for joining us. I think we have a lot of really good stuff. So I'm going to stop talking now. I'm going to hand it over to Senator Boxer, and we're going to let uh, them bring us up to speed on a lot of what is going on in the landscape uh, as it applies uh, in, in this day and age to abortion here in California and also around the country. So uh, Senator Boxer, thank you so much for joining us. I'm going to hand it off to you. Well, I want to thank you for this opportunity. This is an issue that is, you know, I want to say close to my heart. It's in my heart. And to have the chance to interview Jody, which is what we're going to do, and maybe go back and forth a little bit is, is a real honor because she's on the front lines of this fight right now. Um, so, um, so Jody, first of all, I'm going to talk a little bit about Dobbs, and then I'm going to ask you my first question. But I do want to thank you and your team uh, for the work you do every day. Um, I, I'm pretty still very close to Planned Parenthood in my community. I'm down south um, in in the Coachella Valley, which is uh, the Palm Springs area. Uh, there's been an enormous uh, impact uh, post-Dobbs on Planned Parenthood. And I wanted you to know that I'm helping them as much as I possibly can. Um, but... Um, you not only protect the health of women, and Jody, I know you know this, but I want to make sure everyone who's listening, who may be helping you and providing a service, it's it's really also about the dignity of women. It's about uh, respect for women. It's about the rights of women. And um, it's not just about abortion. It's about us and our ability to be respected, to make our own important, life-changing decisions. And the way we make those decisions shouldn't be about, you know, Mitch McConnell or somebody else standing beside you telling you what to do. It's it's ridiculous and it's wrong. Um, so before we get into the reality of, of, of post-Dobbs, which I'm going to ask you a lot about, 
because I myself really want to know what's happening on the ground. I, I wanted to revisit the Dobbs decision for this reason. Um, honestly, I, I don't think we talk enough about it because we really can't forget how radical it was, how harmful it was, and it is, and how it does something that I never thought possible when I was coming up, and that is taking away freedoms. We didn't do that in America. We know our founders, with all their terrible faults and, and mistakes, they knew they needed a more perfect union. That's what I love about the preamble, which is my favorite part of the Constitution. I ask everyone to read it. It's also President Obama's favorite part because we talk about a more perfect union and not making it less perfect, not taking away rights. So um, in the next two minutes, I'm gonna share a little bit of the Dobbs decision. And then I'm gonna ask you a little bit about what you think about the national scene, and then we'll get to the California scene. Um, so this decision uh, written by Justice Alito, who I had the privilege of voting against, um, is so arrogant, it's, um, it's ignorant, it's hateful. And that's not just hyperbole at all, it's true because Justice Alito in his decision extols a 17th century jurist who was involved in which trials, Jody? Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> and this jurist, Matthew Hale, was born in the 1600s and even in those years, he was known as a woman hater in those times. And Hale called abortion murder. He said, if a, listen to this, if a woman claims rape, it was important to note if she tried to flee. This is, this is, this. And if she was, quote, of good fame or evil fame, it's still the mindset of Justice Alito who's deciding these issues. Alito also quotes a judge from the 1200s who claimed that women were inferior to men. He said the only way to learn if a woman is lying about being pregnant is to, and I quote, grope her and lock her in a castle. I'm quoting, at her own cost. So what more could I say to quote from this decision? that shows you the antagonism and the hatred toward women. That's why I always say, it's not the abortion issue, it's the issue of how people view women. Um, so um, we have faced a terrible, terrible, terrible headwinds. Um, and, and this has caused chaos. And so I'm gonna start to ask you my questions now. Um, do you believe as I do, that regardless of all the state battles we face and that you are dealing with every day, um, we should never give up on a national bill to codify Roe Ro v. Wade. Well, thank you. First of all, Senator, let me start by saying how grateful I am to you and all the work that you have done. I mean, I think you know, my younger self would be so proud of myself that I'm even anywhere in a virtual room with you because you really served as a champion, but a, a real rock star and a feminist when 
many people were coming into making those decisions. And now we're here fighting in a way that we didn't ever imagine that we would have to before. And so you were definitely a part of the building blocks on which we stand in order to, to do that fight today. So I thank you for that. Um, I mean, I think the Dobbs decision was shocking. Um, as you very eloquently pointed out, it was a taking rolling back of rights that we've never experienced before. Um, and I'm not sure that, you know, the day after we knew exactly how to fight back against. But but everything that we feared is has come true in this year post Dobbs. Um, we're looking at almost half the country that have instituted some type of ban on abortion, but but also what the fallout of that means in terms of, you know, people seeking miscarriage management in terms of how far they're willing to go. Um, and it is about control. It is about, you know, how to have some supremacist control over other people's lives and it will bleed into all all different aspects of of how people can make decisions and control the trajectory of their very future and their very destinies and and we're seeing all of that play out and i think you know we, we can and i'm sure we will talk about all the things that california has done to safeguard our own state and ensure that in california we represent a reproductive freedom state and ensure that we're protecting those values. But if there's not something done at the national level, there is only so much a state like California can do. And so it is important that we're, we're looking at this long-term, that we're not just accepting the fact that post-Dobbs, every state's doing their own thing because we also know what they want to do. They, they want to pass a national ban. Yes. Um, so, and, and there's very little, even though we've passed constitutional protections, all of that bleeds over into states' rights as well. Um, but there's been, you know, we've spent a year trying to figure out what it means for our providers, what it means for patients that now have to travel outside of the state they live in in order to get basic health care. Um, and we're seeing that play out um, right now. So it, it's all—it's very important that people keep that sort of future in mind that they need to fight for, which is a place where everyone has freedoms, no matter where they live and no matter what their zip code is. Well, Jody, I think this is so important that you say this because we are so lucky to be in this state. Yeah. This state... <laughs> that understands respect toward all of our citizens. We're the most diverse, we're huge. We have a governor who gets it, a lieutenant governor who gets it, a legislature that gets it. We are protected here, but it is so fragile. Mm -hmm. It's fragile because of the national situation. And that's why I wanted to focus on this for the beginning of our talk, um, because right now, uh, we're taking care of business for women here. And we're taking care of business for women who come here. And I'm not asking you this now, I'm gonna ask you a little bit later, the impacts of that. But right now I wanna just for this next question and then I'll leave this subject, talk a little more about the importance of the national government. Because obviously I served 10 years in the house, 24 years in the United States Senate. All of those years protecting Roe, it wasn't until after I left that we had this horrific Supreme Court 
led by this arrogant man uh, in this decision, uh, Alito, do this heinous thing, where, as you point out, women in some states are in deep trouble and women in states like ours can can breathe a little bit. But um, and I say women and the people who support us and pregnant people, um, what I what I, I want to put out there for you to comment on is this. I talked about the importance of making sure that we codify Roe v. Wade, which, as you know, it was a, a good common sense way to deal, which just for the benefit of everybody who may have forgotten what it was, because it is no more, basically said before viability, it's up to a woman, period, end of quote. After viability, yes, the states could legislate and put on restrictions. However, the woman's life and the woman's health would always be protected. Now, how wise? So without getting into more of how I feel about that, because I was such a strong and am such a strong supporter and want to see it done, the problem, and you hinted at this, that we face is, it's not just the good guys who are trying to codify national bills, the bad guys who are trying to take away our rights, even that we have under Dobbs. And I want to just not be rhetorical on this. I want to point out specifics. Um, we already know, we've watched the Republican presidential debates. They want to have a national ban at a certain number of weeks, which, you know, they're so smart, they're going to decide what it is. And then California law is null and void. Okay, null and void. So we need to watch out 14 week bans, 12 week bans. We've seen what's happening. Six week bans. Very frightening. And then I'm going to ask you about this. I don't know if you're aware of this, but Senator Rand Paul of Kentucky is the author of the Life at Conception Act. And I'm going to ask you to respond to it. It says, quote, unborn children are persons under the 14th Amendment entitled to legal protection. So the legal beagles I know say that means abortion is murder from the yep. second of conception. And Rand Paul has said he's going to fight for a vote on this. So um, so, so here's my specific question. I know you have your eye on this as well as everything happening in the States, but is National Planned Parenthood keeping an eye on these heinous bills that go even further than Dobbs? And are they connecting the dots between the election that's coming up in the House and Senate and these bills, which is so heinous? I mean, yes and yes to all of it. I, I think, you know, I always like to think about Maya Angelou when she says, when people show you who you are, who they are. Um, <laughs> that's who they are. <laughs> the first time. And so when people are introducing bills like this, it's because they're testing the water and they're seeing if they can get away with it. And if they can, that's what they'll do. And people have, you know, expressed their opinion about abortion in a way that we haven't heard in 50 years. Um, and, and that's the only reason I think that some of these federal laws have not been passed as of yet. Um, but they're going to try and, you know, in every different way that they can. We've seen the playbook. But it's also important to understand that, 
you know, it was one thing to say that we want to take away abortion rights. It's another thing to actually implement what that means. And I don't think that people that were even lukewarm about the issue envisioned a world by which women would be criminalized, doctors would be criminalized, people would be going to jail. We've already had that happen. We've already had a mother and her daughter um, will have jail time for securing a medication abortion in the state that they live in. And doctors are facing, you know, that's one of the things we've had to do here in California, shore up that um, we in our state will not follow the rules of other states if they're trying to come in our state. And for instance, if somebody travels to our state to secure services that we won't, and then subpoena health records, for instance, or you know what happens when they go back to their state if they do need to go to the doctor. And so it's all of these things that are happening right now. People having, you know, even wanted pregnancies where they're, they're having miscarriages and can't get management, can't get treatment in the state that they live in and going to other states. And are those doctors able to treat them? And so it's this, you know, domino effect of what's, what's happening. And it is, it does come down to at the national level, if we don't ensure that we have protections for everyone, it affects everyone ultimately. We are lucky to be in California. There is no question. People are, or I, I shouldn't even say lucky. We have the right and we're grateful that we're able to enjoy that here in California. Um, but but Californians will be impacted too. We already are. People are coming into the state and how that impacts Californians trying to get care, how it impacts if people are in there are, has already been one attorney general who said that he will try and go after doctors um, that are treating patients if patients are, are crossing the state border, what that could look like. None of that has been tested. We're only a year out, but we know that that's what they want to do. They want to ultimately stop people's rights from accessing abortion services across the nation. And so if they can only do it in their state, that's what they're doing now. If they can reach into another state and they find a way to do that, that's what they're going to do. Um, and 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 ultimately, everybody should have that right, no matter where they live. And so that's what we have to fight for. So absolutely, that is the North Star here in California. Even what we're focusing on is national um, elections and, and looking at what's happening at the national level, because it ultimately impacts us here in California. Well, that's music to my ears, because we have to fight this on every front. And we know, I, look, I was in my years where I was pregnant, you know, there was no Roe v. Wade. That's how old I am, even though I know you won't believe it. But <laughs> so, never. so I had to deal with friends who almost died. And I, as a matter of fact, in my memoir, I wrote about one of those cases. We know, we, people my age, we're witness to what happens. This, you know, a lot of young people, when I was in the Congress, I would try to get them interested and they go, you know, ah, they took it for granted. But there's a poem, it's freedom. Freedom is a hard one thing. You have to work for it day and night for it. And every generation's got to do it again. And Jody, you are that generation and the people beneath you, younger, 
and the young people. And so connecting the dots between, you know, who is who's in Congress, who's in the state legislature, these are all critical. We deserve the credit here for voting in pro-choice folks, you know, Absolutely. but if we sit back and we take it for granted, that's a, a big mistake. So I wanted to drill down a little bit on what it's like on the ground now for for Planned Parenthood in California. Are Can you get, because almost for me, it's this is such a great moment because I, I don't know the details. What type of influx are you seeing? Is Are you seeing influxes from certain states from and what are those states? Are you can you tell us about that? How many people? What percentage of the uh, healthcare you give, including medication, abortion, are people from these other states? Can you paint the picture for us so we can see the load that California Planned Parenthood is 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 carrying on its shoulders? Because we've got to help you. Yeah, I mean, first, definitely, we have seen an impact. Um, and it's been interesting because there was predictors before and they're not really shaping out to be exactly as predicted after. And there's a there's a lot of variables in place. Every health center, there's over 100 in California. We have seven affiliates that run them um, independently. But but all of my affiliates have stated that they've all seen an increase. And so. Um, there's been a gut marker report that has said um, a 16% overall increase in abortion here in California. Um, but our experience has been, you know, what they're seeing on the ground has been a little bit different. Um, some more, um, some maybe a little bit less, but we also know, um, so when Arizona paused their abortions, for instance, we definitely, you know, San Diego, Palm Springs, that, that entire area, um, LA, certainly saw an increase. Um, people driving across the border immediately, like within the week, um, we were filling up or they were filling up with appointments. Um, but we also know that there's an increase in, for instance, every city with an airport. And so where they tried to predict where people would drive and go to the closest state, that's not always true. If they have a cousin in San Jose, for instance, they'll go to San Jose and they'll make an appointment there because they can, they know someone and they're familiar. California has done some extraordinary things like we um, put together a website that is designed for people that are in a different state. Because if you imagine the experience of a young person in Texas who has never traveled outside of the state of Texas, you wouldn't necessarily know where to go to make that appointment. So you wouldn't know like, oh, let me call this one place because you wouldn't know where the airport is or anything like that. And so California designed a website that allows you to just Google um, where in California and, and be really designed for somebody outside of the state to get information. And we've seen a lot of traffic and we know from the data of who's looking at that website that it's been wildly successful for people to try and get care. Um, and, Jody, you know, one, quick, one quick question on that. Yeah. Um, which is, it's, that's very interesting. Uh, that's not so predictable because people might go some other place that because they have a relative, because it is a hard thing and you want to have a support system in place. This is really hard for people. Yeah. So um, could I ask you about medication abortion? Because yeah. under the law now, what is the law? If somebody calls you from another state, can a doctor in California prescribe that and get that to that? 
person in a non-abortion state? So the laws are murky. Um, for the most part, we want people to come to the state of California. They still, many, many people choose medication, abortion over, um, uh, you know, a surgical abortion just because of convenience and for, for all of the reasons that they want to. Uh, but we still, if they're in within our borders, we can protect patients the best. Um, but they still can get medication abortion in that way, even if they're here and they want to do it via telehealth, sitting in a in a hotel room, for instance. Um, they can do that, and it's and it's quite convenient. So, so, so they basically, sadly for them, have to come to the state where it's legal. Um, so we're getting to the point where we're going to see if there were any questions. Jody, you were going to take that portion over. If we have questions, let's go to those. If we don't, I have a ton more for you. So I don't see any right now. So Okay. okay. Then let's go because mm -hmm. I love it because these are all questions I'm interested in. <laughs> I hope people are getting something out of this. Okay. So Attorney General Bonta has filed suit against... Um, a chain of so-called crisis pregnancy centers saying they are disseminating false information to basically coerce women away from abortion. And um, it, it appears that legislation on this topic can't seem to pass. And I was wondering what your take is on that. Yeah. So, I mean, we're, we appreciate the attorney general. He's been steadfast in his work to um, protect abortion, but also go after people who are, are making it harder for people to access it. So, um, you know, the judicial system is um, tricky right now, especially as we know, um, if we pass legislation that could wind its way to the Supreme Court, it's it's concerning for, for a lot of people in this moment in time. Um, so we're working a lot on the laws that we have, but the attorney general is able to do what he can do and enforce the law right now. Um, and unfortunately, I mean, I think people would be sort of surprised to know that crisis pregnancy centers actually outnumber um, abortion health clinics in the state of California right now. And oftentimes there are, there are many places that give good information and resources to people that need it, that for pregnant people that need it, but there's also some of these that unfortunately give a lot of misinformation. Um, and that's especially important in this moment if people are traveling from out of state, they need to be secure that they're going to a place that's going to give them the right information and actually provide services that they need. You know, we always trust people to know what they need and not to be need or want or ever should be coerced or misinformed. Um, if they're looking for healthcare services, we trust that and want them to be able to access that. And so um, we're grateful that the attorney general is, is doing this work. Yeah, I mean, there's a difference between giving information out which is accurate. For example, here are the options you have. And in California, one of those, you can end this pregnancy. And here's the law in California. Um, that's fine. And let people decide. But it's another thing to kind of withhold the information. We call that gag, a gag rule that we, we dealt with that for, for many, many years when I was in the Senate. Don't gag people from telling the truth because it's all about respect for women. Yep. Look, I mean, as you know, we always would say pro-choice. And, and 
that's sort of out of favor now. But to me, the reason I love the word choice is that it does give you this notion that we decide you pro the individual, not having someone else and some supposed pregnancy center keep information is not good. So yeah, I, I, I also feel if in fact they're giving this information, that's about something that's so important that good for the attorney general for doing that. Um, so I wanted to ask you, ab abortion uh, has really galvanized the electorate of late in shocking places, red states. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's sort of the only good news that I can suss out of this Dobbs decision yeah. is that it sort of woke people up to what's going on politically in this country and who's trying to take away their rights and who disrespects them and who will support their rights and who respects them. So do you see abortion becoming a driver of voter turnout in, in this election that's coming up where the Senate leadership is at stake, the House leadership is at stake, and certainly all the other elections statewide, uh, not just here, but all over the country. Do you see uh, do you see it being a driving force? And what groups do you think potentially could really make history by getting out there who really care about this? Yeah, I mean, I think I think everyone it is. I agree with you. I think it is the the silver lining is um, people are saying the word abortion. They're talking about it. It's it's on every news channel. We we passed a constitutional amendment last year, and it was the highest vote getting um, you know anything on the ballot. Prop one one in in every county um, that it was on, it, it it received the highest votes over over other things. Um, and so you know. And 70% of the country agrees that, that people should have the right to access abortion. And so anytime, we've seen any time that voters have an opportunity to voice that opinion, they that, that issue, reproductive freedom wins when it's on the ballot or when a candidate is, is talking about it. So um, I think it will continue to be that. I think that um, not just groups like Planned Parenthood. There's a lot of reproductive justice groups that will be working, Emily's List and others to be working um, in this election. But I also think candidates are talking about it much more and certainly using it to draw distinction between their opponent and who will fight for freedoms and who won't. Um, and, and we've seen the difference. I, I actually think that, um, you know, I have to believe that while it was such a gut punch to lose Roe as a protection, I think the way that young people are fighting back right now, I think that we'll actually have a better um, reproductive justice world um, in the future where, you know, it, Mississippi in the in the where Dobbs originally took place, where that um, issue originally was born from, there's only one clinic in the entire state. So that state already had very little access to reproductive health services. Um, and we didn't talk about that. So I think we talk about it more. We, we talk about the importance of um, abortion, but in a way about why it's so important for people to be the captain of their own ship and be able to make decisions that reflect 
their destinies and their futures. Um, and, and, you know, I think that this election will um, be, I think will win because of that. I really do. And I think that we'll continue taking those steps until we get to a place that um, we should have been fighting for, you know, my generation should have been fighting for in a stronger way. Well, I think that really um, is important what you just said. Um, I do think it's important, and you are totally right, there was only one place people could get an abortion in Mississippi before because the court was chipping away at road, chipping away at it. And so they had to have one clinic. Now they have none. And now doctors could go to jail. So you're absolutely right about Dobbs brought this to a head, but there are people who are suffering mightily, um, not here in this great state, but all over the country who a 10 year old girl forced, oh, I can't even talk about it. Forced to have a, baby. a 10 year old baby has to have a baby. It, and, and also, as you pointed out earlier, you're having a miscarriage and you can't even get help because a doctor's afraid he's going to go to jail. He or she will go to jail. So um, I would, I agree with you a hundred percent that this is going to be a driver. I asked that question, hoping you would agree. I think it's a driver. I think everyone in the sound of our voice needs to understand <laughs> the moment we're in right now, because it really is going to matter who is the president, who is in Congress, because we know, we, and this is why I'll wrap it up now because we're running out of time. I just put the ribbon on this conversation. The people on the other side will never stop. And it's, and yes, some of them do it in the name of their own personal religion, which I totally respect that. I have a religion that I think is very important to me. I don't put it on anybody else. That's not what we're supposed to do here in America. If you go back to our founders, the whole notion was freedom of religion. So don't tell me what to do. I won't tell you what to do. Let's have some rules of the road that are fair. And that was called Roe v. Wade. Mm -hmm. But then you have others with a deep, I want to just speak it because, you know, I'm unleashed and I've always been unleashed, but now more than ever, a deep antagonism and hatred of, 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 of women's equality and our ability to be trusted and respected. This is big. And this Congress, whatever it looks like, is going to matter. Will Rand Paul's bill move forward and get a vote <laughs> where it says you're guilty of murder at the second of conception if you, you know, take the pill? So this is a moment. And again, I'm going to finish where I started. Jody, you are on the firing lines. I want you to know I'm always there for you. Um, the reason I was so happy to do this is to reconnect again. We talk from time to time. Mm -hmm. And um, and I would love to just have you wrap it up from your perspective. And then we'll say goodbye to everybody and hope that even though they didn't have any questions, we answered all of them for them. So why don't you finish it up, Jody? Yeah, thank you. And I, I do wanna just reiterate my gratitude for you 
Um, I know we talked even after Dobbs and you were kind enough to to check on us and 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 have just a lovely conversation that that was inspiring. So um, it's always great to hear from you. Um, I just, you know, if I can say last things, it's just for everyone to keep doing what they're doing. I, I've been inspired again. I think the young people right now are just honestly, they're doing everything. They're voting with their values. We're seeing what they're, how they're voting and, and how they're, you know, marching and speaking and telling their stories and really being open in a way that I wish I could have been when I was in my 20s. And I'm so proud of that. Um, but we're also seeing the same playbook. And when we talk about how people want to take away reproductive freedoms, it's really just about taking away freedoms and it's about control and they don't care that people are getting harmed and they they will go after birth control if they can. And we're seeing it play out in the LGBTQ communities right now, the way they're going after trans kids, it's the same exact playbook. And so just remembering that if anyone loses a freedom, we all suffer and we have to continue that fight across the board. And it's why it wasn't okay for people to think that, um, you know, I, I remember hearing right away that people, a lot of consultants, mostly men, that didn't think this would be a big issue because they didn't think it was a kitchen table issue. And it was women that had to say, you know, economic justice is, is a huge part of reproductive justice. Like we fully understand what it means if we don't have those choices and what that means, um, whether people can go to college, whether they can be the people that they want to be. And the same is true in other communities. And we just collectively keep fighting on and everybody, you know, vote their values. That's it. Well, thank you, everybody, all of you for listening to us. And look, I Planned Parenthood is where it's at for me and always been most trusted. And if you look at a poll, no politician comes close to where Planned Parenthood ranks, <laughs> even with all the attacks. And you see why you have someone like this leader here who speaks from the heart and gets it done on the ground. So thank you, everybody. Thank you so much. Bye bye. The worst week. Worst week. Worst week. All right. Well, thanks everybody for uh, tuning in to our health conference keynote with Senator Barbara Boxer and Jody Hicks, uh, Executive Director of Planned Parenthood California. Um, but we're going to take a moment here because we would be very remiss this week if we didn't do our who had the worst week in California politics because we always seem to have more than one possibility, but this week they're just falling out of the sky as we speak. Um, as Joined as always, Tim, we're here, you're, uh, Foster is here too. Tim, I don't think there's any debate that Kevin McCarthy, who has been, who has had the honor of wearing this crown a few times this year, uh, gets to wear for one, I, I don't know, maybe it's not the final time, but he definitely gets to wear the who had the worst week in California politics crown this week because he became the first speaker in the history of the United States House of Representatives uh, to get stripped of the position. And he got it happened to him by his own party. Uh, so there you go, right? Yeah, this is, uh, as you say, it's unprecedented. Although I've, I, I've often noticed that people will say this is the first time in history this happened. You go back to like 1802 when something happened. So who knows? Uh, 
But I will trust our historians that, you know, Alex Vassar is probably digging into this as we speak, although it's a little out of his wheelhouse, being the National uh, House versus the California Houses. But yes, I'm sure this was very embarrassing for McCarthy. It certainly was not great for his political party. Uh, I have heard some of his colleagues who supported him basically say that as far as they're concerned, that means that that's the end of any chance the Republicans have of holding the House or picking up the Senate because they're losing his strategic uh, willpower and also his fundraising abilities. Uh, we don't know yet who is going to occupy the position, uh, but we know it won't be Kevin McCarthy. And uh, where, you know, where does he go from here? Well, and we know that because he has said he has no intention to, to read to seek the position again. And you know uh, what? If I was him, I wouldn't either. I wouldn't either. I mean, I, th I think it's played out. I mean, I think we need to be honest here. I think that it's played out. Everybody, we've talked about this on this on this show before, so I don't feel uh, wrong in saying this, but I think everybody here, certainly in Sacramento, people who have known Kevin McCarthy well for a long time, have said over and over, that was the job he wanted above all other things. It seemed like everything he was doing in his life was being uh, geared toward becoming the Speaker of the House. Well, I mean, there's a couple of ways you can look at it. Hey, great, you achieved the goal. Uh, the other one is be careful what you wish for. Um, you know, timing is everything. And he became Speaker at a time when he he, he had really an impossible task. I, I don't have really any sympathy for him because he knew what he was getting into. But it was an it's an impossible task right now to try to uh, govern a party that has this very loud vocal group of folks who, as anyone who listens to the show, we've heard Mike Madrid and, and, and others talk about how, you know, these folks don't care about institutions. They don't care about uh, the democracy uh, that we all seem to care about so much. And it shows in their actions. And and Kevin to McCarthy, to his great, but for whatever reasons, he agreed to take that on to the point where he was getting mocked around the world for sitting through 15 votes to take that on. But he did it and he tried. Um, you can we can debate all day whether he was any good at it. But at the end of the day, uh, you know, he, he was in a he was swimming with sharks and he eventually got eaten. And so that was just the bottom line there. That's true. And as crappy as all it is, you know what? He still is always going to be Speaker McCarthy. Till, you know, they'll put it on his tombstone. Not going to put it on mine. So, I mean, you know, in that sense, and it'll probably be able to charge an extra couple bucks if and when he ever goes into the lobbying community. So at the end of the day, I'm sure Kevin McCarthy will be just fine. You know, he's not going to be back working at his... Uh, his restaurant in Bakersfield or whatever, you know, I think he was a restaurateur if I remember right. But, uh, yeah. you know, I mean, in the end of the day, he'll be fine. I think this week was not a great week for him, nor for his colleagues, you know, nor for anyone who supports sort of the more middle of the road, although that's, you know, that's hard to even say in the Republican caucus now. But, uh, you know, the well, I think it lays bare. I think it lays bare. Again, I know there are folks who disagree with folks like Mike Madrid and and the others from the Lincoln Project and Steve Schmidt and so many of the others who are you know somewhat prominent Californians who were part of of, of that effort who are the Never Trump and uh, organization. Look, I I think it lays bare some really harsh realities here because it, as we're recording this, there are people talking about the Republicans electing Donald Trump to be Speaker of the House, which just 
boggles the mind on many levels. By the way, their own rules, as I understand them, prevent them from doing that because he's under a felony indictment and nobody under a felony indictment. But come on, they those rules can be changed. And believe me, if Donald Trump said, I want that job, every Republican, every single Republican, I think, would be down there, except for maybe Kinzinger, who's the one that voted for to impeach him. I mean, pretty much every Republican would be down there, you know, saying, hey, let's change the rules. Rules can be well, changed. Which, which would put California Republicans in a, in a tough spot. Um, they're going to, a lot of those folks who won House seats in the last election, you know, Dems are going to be coming at them big time. They see them as being very vulnerable now. And We'll see. I mean, you know, again, I, I'm out of the prediction business, but I think every Republican that's in a swing district or a state like this one, if you're a Republican from a very blue state like this one, or, you know, you can go down the line and name them. They're going to they're be their task next election time, if they're going to run again, is it just got made a lot harder. And uh, if Trump becomes House Speaker, which, again, who knows what will happen? Uh, who knows? But that would make it uh, I think that much harder in, in a lot of ways. So, you know, we'll say, or maybe easier. I don't even know. In certain districts, it might make it easier. We will tell. Our time will tell, I should say. Well, and you know, this was such a ridiculous week in California politics that we actually had folks who arguably had a worse week than Kevin McCarthy. That is possible. Thanks to Governor Gavin Newsom, who lived up to his pledge to appoint a black woman to a vacant Senate seat. And he had claimed earlier he was going to do a caretaker appointment, which I think everyone thought was a terrible idea, uh, politically, strategically, anyway, any which way you slice it. So he backpedaled on that. And he appointed a name that I didn't hear floating around anywhere, LaFonza Butler, formerly of A. Smith's uh, firm back when she was in there, it was SCRB, uh, Smith, Clegg, Rodriguez, and Butler. She left and they're now Bear Star Strategy. She went to Emily's List, lives in Maryland. By the way, as Dan Walters, a lifelong Republican, says, doesn't matter that she currently lives in Maryland. She's a Californian. She can change her, her residency anytime and be fine for the Senate seat. So shut up about that. Uh, if you want to talk about People not living in their districts. Let's talk about Tom McClintock. Yeah. But anyway, um, <laughs> but this was not good for Barbara Lee, was not good for Adam Schiff, and it was not good for Katie Porter. None of them want to be running against a person who's already in the Senate, who by all accounts is a very attractive candidate and smart as a whip. We'll see how she actually does on the stump. I've never seen her in public addresses or, or those sorts of things. But if she's as good as Gavin Newsom seems to think she is, they could be uh, figuring out where to put the, put the money they've raised on these uh, Senate runs to better use. I mean, what do you think? Yeah. But to no, me, I think they, they conceivably had just as bad a week as, as Kevin McCarthy. Yeah, and I think of the three, Barbara Lee definitely had the worst week because I think there was, you know, there was a growing chorus of, of people around California who were saying he should name Barbara Lee to that position. She was the best positioned uh, in terms of experience to come in and be effective right away in the United States Senate. And as opposed to somebody, I mean, you know, you're hearing names like Oprah and Meghan Markle and, and, and just silly things like that where somebody would have been a, you know, it would have been like we only had one senator essentially at that point. Um, so 
you know, Barbara Lee was getting some momentum, I think, there, at least in in the voices out there. And so having somebody like Butler get named not only <laughs> curtailed that thought, um, it probably did does present her with yet another extraordinarily formidable opponent who fits all the criteria that a lot of the folks out there were clamoring for being a black woman. Uh, of course, she's LGBTQ. That's also become very important in this race. And and she, and look, let's be really honest. She's younger. She's much younger. And that is, I think there's a growing chorus of folks who are, you know, experience is great. But, you know, as we've seen with, you know, not just Feinstein, but, you know, uh, Mitch McConnell and others. Joe uh, Biden. I think you're Biden. I think exactly right. I mean, age is becoming an issue here. And so that is a very responsible. I mean, she has a CV that goes back decades. She is, you know, beloved in her community. She's been reelected. It's never even been close. I mean, she is really a formidable opponent. However, she would be replacing a person who just died in office in her 90s. Uh, you have the head of the Senate Republicans is Mitch McConnell, who is, I don't know, 246 years old or something. Uh Nancy Pelosi is also way up there. Joe Biden is way, way up there. And if uh, if Lee won and she took this race, I think she would be 80 years old before she was seated. And I think Californians, given what I just said, are looking for someone maybe who's younger. I think they were really intrigued about having a woman of color in there. And, and that found that to be an important thing that we had someone with that back background but also someone that is not, you know, not that far along in years. And I think that that is Barbara Lee's biggest problem. Had she tried to do this 20 years ago, I think it's been a whole different story. Yeah, you know, and part of the problem is that, you know, the electorate is getting younger. And I, I had um, I had coffee today with um, somebody in that age group, you know, in the early 30s. And, you know, they'll tell you climate change is at the very top of their list and you know certainly um abortion rights are, are a really big deal um and, and all, all i can say is age comes up a lot when you talk to that that age group those under 40 the voters under 40 they bring up age because there's there's some of it well you know it's more our turn and also just i think there's a real challenge maybe getting those folks to believe that some of the older people take it as seriously as they do, and you know, fair or not, you, I've I've heard that a lot. So, yeah, I think it's unfortunate. You know what? And maybe in Barbara Lee's perfect world, Gavin would have named her before she ever got into the race, as as you know, or, or made it clear that he would pick her, and then she could have had this time. And then uh, who knows? I you know, now it's all speculation because it doesn't matter. Butler is our junior senator from the state of California. And then, so I agree with you that Barbara Lee certainly was not looking forward to having uh, Gavin Newsom appoint another candidate, for sure. However, Barbara Lee was running is running third in the polls, last we checked. Uh, Porter and Schiff are one and two. I think actually Schiff is number one, I think. Uh, Porter's number two. Frankly, I don't think either one of them wanted to be running against an incumbent senator and certainly not an incumbent senator, young LGBTQ black woman who, again, I've never met uh, LaFonza Butler, 
everything I've heard about her is that she is smart as a whip, extraordinarily effective. And uh, she has labor background, which of course is very popular in California. Um, so I'm sure they did not want to be running against someone with those bona fides who will be running as the sitting senator from California. So right. probably not a great week in their households either. Well, and honestly, you know, it's also not a great week if you're thinking of getting in on the Republican side. Now, we could sit here and say right off the bat, well, look, it's highly unlikely there's going to be a Republican. We don't know that. We really don't know who might get into the race. But every there, there are now uh, four really good, strong Democratic candidates. Any one of them is going to be a very difficult opponent to beat in in uh, the next election. So if you're, you know, if you're a Republican who wants to get into this race now, it's almost going to have to be, you know, somebody extraordinarily high profile, probably not all that connected to California politics, right? Uh, somebody like that, like, you know, when Schwarzenegger got into the recall race, uh, something extraordinary like that. I know some people even talked about Schwarzenegger getting into this race. Again, I don't see it, but it's, you know, let's just say. I do not see Schwarzenegger being like, yeah, I want to be one of a hundred people and be at yeah, the that, that doesn't fit Arnold's profile whatsoever. But let's just say, you know, there was somebody out there that had that profile. There's just one more. I don't think Chachi's doing anything right now. <laughs> yeah, I think Chachi's free for the rest of his time on this earth, right? <laughs> but, but, you know, I just think, you know, it, it, it's... I would say if you were betting odds right now, I mean, it is just overwhelmingly likely that a Democrat is going to win that race unless something really dramatic happens. And the odds of that um, just got much longer. Right. So, OK, I'm going to I'm going to make a prediction here. I'm going to go on the the same record here. It's Paul Mitchell. Hopefully this will have a different outcome. I think if a Republican even makes it into the top two for that race. I'm going to run naked around the Capitol. You could count me on that. <laughs> so, uh, so Paul, you're going to have to, you know, you're going to have to hold me to that. That happens. So check back with me in November of uh, 2024. Yes. Yeah. And then, then we would really be talking about who had the worst week in California politics. That will depend on whether or not they have the security cameras on. <laughs> and what the temperature is. <laughs> All right, Rich. Well, this, we couldn't, couldn't let this past week go by without a, a worst week conversation because this was a doozy. This is really one of the craziest weeks in California politics. And we didn't even mention the fact that Nancy Pelosi got kicked out of her office the minute yeah. uh, the minute McCarthy got deposed. His person that's kind of the interim speaker said, hey, Nancy, you're out. Mind you, she's at Dianne Feinstein's uh, funeral while this is happening. So, you know, normally that would qualify. You'd probably be an easy winner, something like that. And she didn't even get a. We barely even mentioned her. Well, I'm going to say one last Kevin McCarthy thing, too. On the flip side, Kevin, if you were listening, and I know you're a regular listener to our to this podcast, um, you got to look at it from the bright side, which is most likely we're, you're not going to be our, our, our top guy for a little while. I think, uh, I think you've probably been relieved of that duty as well. It's true. Although, you know, now we can start a rumor that he's going to be the senator running a senator from California on the Republican side. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> well, hey, you know what? He's a prodigious fundraiser. That's all I But Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, I think the odds of Kevin winning a statewide right now are probably pretty slim. But again, I think that's anybody in his party. I mean, you're, you know, it, it is, reality is what it is. There are four extraordinary candidates on the Democratic side. Um, any Republican is going to have to climb a political Mount Everest to, to, to beat one of them. So there you go. Maybe that's who's had the real worst week is California Republicans. I don't know. Yeah, it's a, it was quite a week. So anyway, all right, Rich. Well, thanks a lot for, uh, for chatting about all this. This was, I mean, you know, we didn't have a, we didn't have a dog in this fight. So it was, uh, so it was fun. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, folks, thanks for joining us. We will see you next time on the Capital Weekly Podcast. The Capital Weekly Podcast is produced by Tim Foster for Open California. If you enjoyed today's episode, we hope you'll go onto iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a positive review. Thanks a lot, and we'll see you next week. The Capital Weekly Podcast is supported by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations.